I am. Um, we wanted to frame um, this morning uh, by talking a little bit about what's happening with Project Home, some of the things that we're going to be pointing ourselves at, and, and interestingly, diving into the next three weeks of actually having some gift days to begin to start to raise some finance. But I'll talk to you more about that in a little while. There's a video I want to show you in a, in a second, which gives you a little bit more of a picture of the building that we're moving towards, uh, some of the heart and vision behind that. But before we dive into that, I guess I wanted to frame this morning, and Sarah's going to speak as well. She's not just like sitting up here looking pretty. I mean, she is sitting up here looking pretty, but um, I'll just carry on. Um, I think that one of the things I've been acutely aware of in this whole journey with Project Home is that it would be very simple for us to position ourselves from a place of lack and a place of frustration and a place of constraint and irritation to make a decision for something different. Um, There was not too long ago in our church history when um, I was a church administrator that's very funny. Uh, but through my, through, um, and there was a phase in our church life when, um, when the church couldn't afford a van. And so we needed a second car. So I decided I was going to buy a van because it was going to help the church. And in the midst of that, we had a morning service and we had an evening service. And I remember the days, and there are people in the room that would have been part of this. But I remember we had an office out in Bolton, which is 17 miles away that we used to drive out to every day. And on a Monday morning, uh, sorry, on a Friday evening, we would load up my van with all of this stuff. Um, And we would put it in the back of my van and we would drive it to my house. And then on Sunday morning, we would go to the venue that we had, the school, and we'd unpack that van. We'd roll everything in. We'd set it all up. And at the end of the service, we'd tear it all down. We'd put it back in the van. We'd drive to K2, which was Man Met Student Union, because that's where our evening service was. We'd load it in, and we'd be praying that the lift worked. And if the lift didn't work, we'd lug it up three flights of stairs. And we'd set it all up, and we'd do reach our evening service. Then we'd tear it all down. And then we'd load it back in the van. And then on Monday morning, if the van hadn't been broken into, which happened a couple of times, and a lot of the stuff got nicked, but... Um, we drive that van with all of that gear out to Bolton. We'd unload it all into the offices so that we could store it there for the week. And then next Friday, we'd load it all back home. And you get the picture. This is what we did, and we did it for years. It would be very easy. And listen, my back tells a story. And many of you who have lugged all that gear for many, many years through various different locations, it tells a story. Even here, just the amount of stuff that we have to do. We put drapes up because behind these drapes there are hideous montages and there are stains. And it's just a hideous building in terms of it's not not been very well looked after. And so we try to make it as warm and as friendly so that it can feel a little bit like home. So that when people come in, they are experiencing something of God and they can hear what we're saying and they can hear the worship. And that's why we have all this stuff. It's not because we like lights. I mean, one of the reasons that we even have lights is we block out the natural light in here because it actually looks really gray and dull with natural light in here. So I was like, do you know what? We want to be able to control the light so we can make it like if you were sat at home and you invited a friend around to your house, you wouldn't like sit in the dark, would you? Like if it got dark, you turn the light on, which is just the same here. It's like, well, when friends come around my house, I make sure that I turn the light on. 
do you guys do that? You're looking at me like I'm crazy. But anyway, that's kind of why we do this. But it would be very easy for us in this project home journey to think, do you know what? There are so many constraints. There are so many frustrations. There are so many things that are painful, that are tiring, that are exhausting about being a mobile church. There are so many reasons that that would cause us to make a decision to go and find a building and never do any of that stuff again. So many reasons to do that. And yet I have felt over the last three years through Project Home that that's never been the motivation and that we need to guard our hearts. And I've had to guard my heart in this journey of like, we are not making a decision to find a church home because of constraint or irritation or frustration or because things are hard. We're doing it because God's asking us to create a home from which we can love our city. And so framing this morning, I I wanted to bring in front of you this statement, so that others will. Be loved, meet Jesus, be healed, find family, know joy, experience peace and find life. This is the vision that we set in front of us as we move towards having and establishing a home, a family home for our church, so that others will. It's not so that others will, we'll never have to load a van they will never have to uh, get here early and put up drapes. It's not so that others will, will find a warm room. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? Like last week, we were literally sat here sweating. And now we're all freezing. Anyway, it's not so that others will, will have good climate control. It's so that others will, will be loved, meet Jesus, be healed, find family, no joy, no experience peace and find life. This is what we're pointing ourselves to. There's no constraint around a vision that says our city, the lost, the lonely, the vulnerable, would, fight, would, would be able to come into a place that we call home and that we could be able to introduce them to the one that has loved them for eternity. This is our dream. And so we wanted to, again, frame as we go back into this season of thinking about gathering together resource, finance, to be able to step into this next phase of Project Home and be able to not just be able to purchase the building, but be able to turn it around and make it into the home that we want it to be. I'm wanting us as a church community to frame everything that we're thinking about this around that phrase, so that others will. And listen, for many of you, you have faithfully served this community by lugging things around and you've worked and you're, I love this community and the heart to serve and contribute in family. It's a beautiful church family. But as we look towards our future, there is, a, there is a picture, there's a vision, there's a dream that God's giving us that is far, goes far beyond how do we make it easy for ourselves. And it's stepping into this next phase of family life that says we're going to have a home from which we can love and serve the city. So let's watch this video and then we've got some things we want to share with you. So part of framing this morning as we head into um, the next three weeks of actually creating some space for gift days for us to be able to think very um, carefully and pray and strategically think how do we partner with this vision Um, and we can talk more about that practically in a moment but um, we often use that um, psalm, Psalm 68 where it talks about God sets the lonely in family. 
And I know that we've always wanted to posture our hearts as a family, not for those, simply those Christians that would come and, and in, enjoy or appreciate the values that we have and come and find family, but ultimately so the lost, the lonely, the vulnerable in our city would find a place. It's one of the reasons we went to two services. You'll look around and there are spaces in the room. There are seats next to you that we believe are to be filled with people that don't know Jesus yet. And part of the, the amazing opportunity that we have as a church family is to open up our lives and open up this space and our gathered time for people who don't know Jesus yet to encounter him. Paul, when he was writing to the Ephesian church, who were, who were a part of the early church, the first established church, he said this, and I'll read it from the Passion Translation. He said, um, so you are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are children of the city of the Holy Ones, with all the rights as family members of the household of God. You are uh, rising like the perfect fitted stones of the temple, and your lives are being built up together upon the ideal foundation laid by the apostles and prophets. And best of all, you are connected to the head cornerstone of the building, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself. Paul was painting this picture and speaking to a, a group of Jesus followers, people that had already heard and responded to the good news of Jesus and said, yes, I'm in. And they were already beginning to experience the family dynamic of what it is like to be connected to Jesus but have relationship with a father who loves them. And in the midst of that, being out, outworking that faith in the, in the confines and in the safety of a family and a community. This is what Paul was writing and speaking to the early church about and, I, and, and admonishing and encouraging them, just saying, this is all the beauty of what you're experiencing as a group of people that said yes to Jesus. But on the other side of that equation is a story that, that, and a letter that Paul wasn't writing and for every person that was maybe sat reading that letter who experienced themselves as no longer foreigners or no longer guests, there is a whole group of people that still feel like aliens and still feel like they're guests. And the beauty of what we get to do as a, as a family, as a community, is bring people into a living relationship with Jesus, that they would meet him and know him and know the beauty of what it is to be connected to his life. And that people who feel isolated and vulnerable and foreigners and those that maybe in life are just going through a place of loneliness and disconnected would actually no longer feel like a, a guest in their own life but would feel connected to a family, a group of people. And actually for us to be able to build a home, to build a, a community space where that life can find its form, we feel like is what God's asking us to step into. It's one of the things that, you know, if I can look at any constraint that we've experienced over the last 30 years of this church family, it has been that we've never had a permanent home, that actually we've always had to, to make do. We've always had to kind of fit our values into the structure of somebody else's building. We've not been there permanently. We would drop in and we would we'd be around on a Sunday, but, but often um, that's not the way our, we run our, our families, is it? It's not like, oh yeah, you know, if we're going to be open to friends and family and, and having people around to our homes, we don't say, oh, well, there's, we like, we carve out a two-hour window. We open up our diaries and say, when are we available? When are we free? When can we make our home free? When can we cook another meal? When can we have those people around? 
And there's the beauty of having a home, having a place that our family can outwork what it really is to be a family that goes well beyond just a couple of hours that we get to be in a space once a week. And so that's what we're stirring ourselves towards. That's what we're asking us to step into so that others will find Jesus, find life, be healed, find family, know joy, experience peace, and ultimately find life. And guys, we know that they don't find life in bricks and mortar. We know they find it in the life of Jesus. But people will find Jesus through your life, who he is, Christ in you, a living hope. And as we create family, as we create space, as we create opportunity for you to bring your friends and family and those from our city who we deeply want to serve and love, we are so excited about the opportunity It's not an opportunity to never lift a chair again. It's not an opportunity to never put up a drape again. It's the opportunity to love and serve our city. And that's what we're really excited about. I think, you know, any of us where we are building homes and families, like we get that to build a household where people can come and find family, like you can't be around the bush. There is cost, requirement, commitment, sacrifice. Like it costs to build a family in like your biological family. It's, it's going to cost. And so there's, there is absolutely um, a requirement on us as God's kids all year round, regardless of what's in front of us, to be a generous people. And so we want to we point towards the next three Sundays as being specific gift days where we can give towards kind of the vision of creating a permanent family home so that others will find life in this way but I want to I want to take a couple of moments to um just to look at the kind of the call to generosity and um, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 9 which is a it's pretty much the go-to place um, and if I explain the context in what's happening in the early church is they're planning to take um, an offering across the the early church and Paul is sending his friend Titus to the Corinthians and so he's writing ahead of time um, basically, he wants them to be ready. He wants them to be ready to give, and he's sending Titus um, to come and collect it. But there are some absolutely profound and important keys for the whole area of giving and generosity in that. So um, I would encourage you, the whole of chapters 8 and chapters 9 of 2 Corinthians are super helpful. That's kind of the chapters where Paul's speaking into it. We're not going to look at all of those this morning. Um, but as we're looking as a church family to get ready to give over the next few weeks, it would be worth having a dive into those um, at home this week. But I'm going to read um, from 2 Corinthians 9. We'll start on verse 6. Um, We'll look at it in a few chunks. So verse six says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Listen, whenever we set off in that adventure of giving and whenever we kind of enter a particular phase of giving, we need to know that we do it under the most all-encompassing promise of provision in the Bible, verse 8. It says that God is able to bless us abundantly. Other translations say he's able to make all grace abound to you. So that, listen to this, in all things, at all times, having all that you need. That pretty much covers everything, as far as I can see. That is the most all-encompassing promise. You'd, in all things, at all times, you'd have all that you need so that you can abound in every good work. It's the most amazing overarching promise in the Bible. And, and our, all of our giving works out in the context of that 
overarching promise. But listen, like every promise in the Bible, it, we need to be super careful. We don't just kind of sit in presumption and, and figure, well, God's promised it, so I just get it. It's just kind of like that, because that, that isn't it. You know, like, like every promise in the Bible, um, we need to align ourselves and position ourselves in order to receive it. So in, in, in this context, we're thinking about giving, we're thinking about finances. What does it look like um, for us to align ourselves in order to receive that promise? Yeah, because it doesn't just land in our lap. And honestly, alignment in this situation, like many, looks like obedience, it's obedience expressed in sacrificial generosity. That's what we're called to. And we, and we keep it super simple. Verse 7, what has God told you to give? You should give that. That's, it's simple, right? Not saying it's not easy, not saying it's not going to be a sacrifice, but it's simple, it's straightforward. You don't need to give what God's asked someone else to give. You don't want to feel bad because someone else is giving more. Like you, you don't need to feel proud because someone's giving less. You get to give what you've decided in your heart before the Lord, this is what I'm called to give. Super simple. The amount is absolutely not the issue. Heart and obedience is most definitely the issue. And, and we have a choice in it. And it, you know, even where he starts off this passage, he says, listen, you know, if you sow sparingly you'll reap sparingly this principle through the bible of reaping and sowing is again it's super apparent it's super clear and we absolutely have a choice how am i going to position myself in sowing and therefore how am i positioning myself at some point in the future in order to receive and we sow out of obedience right we don't give in order to get more it's not that we look at god as some sort of cosmic supernatural vending machine and the more i put in the more buttons i get to press and the more i get out that's that's not it that motivation isn't it but the principle of sowing and reaping absolutely is there it is an unchanging principle through the bible that as we sow whether that's generously or whether that's sparingly whether that's cheerfully whether it's begrudgingly like actually it makes a difference to what we then reap and so so we give out of obedience because generally God calls us to give and specifically we give what the amount he has asked us to give. But we do it from a place of confidence, right? We give out of obedience and we give from confidence because he's able to bless us abundantly so that in all things, at all times, we would have all of our need. That's where our confidence comes from and therefore I'm able to be obedient because I'm confident in who God is and what he said, right? Let's move on. Verse 10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through, you, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Alrighty, a couple of things to pull out here. We need to figure out the difference between seed and bread. Okay, that's what it says to start off with. God is able to supply seed to the sower and bread for food. So this is in the context of giving and taking up an offering. Paul talks about two th different things, seed and bread. What are we given that is seed that we need to give away, that we need to sow? And what have we been given that is bread, which that means, I think, that actually I get to eat, I get to consume, I get to keep. So, yes, see the difference. What do I have in finances that are for me to meet my needs and what is actually not? for me to meet my needs, but actually is that I get to sow and give it away. 
Seed needs to be sown so that there's a harvest and so that other people's needs will be met. That's part of so that others will. Seed needs to be sown. But bread needs to be eaten so that your needs are met. It's again, these profound ideas to get our heads around. Seed needs to be sown so that other needs, others' needs will be met. Bread needs to be eaten so that your needs are going to be met. There's a promise of provision of increase and harvest for us. Harvest is the reaping bit, right? You get to reap a harvest. Um, but there isn't a harvest if we haven't sown. So we have to figure that thing out and, and not get it the wrong way around. Because you know, what, you know, what happens if we get that the wrong way around? If I, if I eat the seed and I plant the bread, like what happens there? Um, if, I, if I eat and consume and keep for myself what I've been given as seed that I'm supposed to plant, actually there's a lack in the future for others and for myself, I think, because I get to reap if I sow generously and obediently, right? So if I eat my seed, there is lack in the future. But equally, if I plant my bread, I will lack in the present. So this, this promise of abundance that all grace abounds to me, that so I would have everything I need in every situation so I can abound in every good work, one of the things we have got to figure out for that is what is seed and what is bread and am I doing the right thing with those two things? Make sense? Okay. So we have to figure that out. We have to lean into the Holy Spirit and say, hey, show me. What's seed? What's bread? I trust you. It's one of the things in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Give us today our daily bread. I trust him absolutely for my provision, for my daily bread. And so I can absolutely, cheerfully, not reluctantly, sow that seed because I'm so confident that he'll provide the bread that I need. We don't do it under pressure. We don't do it under obligation. We're not doing it to twist arms. We do it out of obedience to a good God. I give what I've decided in my heart to give. That's what Paul says. But it's not just a figure I kind of, I, I choose to give what I've heard from the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely my choice, but it's because I've lent in and I've listened. Finally, verse 13, the last few verses. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others are going to praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. In their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Verse 13, super important. He's saying here, listen, your confession of the gospel has to be backed up by obedient living and generosity. I don't think it's a stretch and I don't think it's a misuse of this verse to say, actually it is an incomplete confession of the gospel if we lack generosity. I don't think that's it. That's not going to cut it. And Paul's saying, listen, other people are going to notice. Other people are going to praise God because of the way that you give, because of our generosity. Actually, there's a missional part to giving. Other people are going to notice and they're going to praise God. They're not going to praise you, by the way. That's not what we do it for. But they will notice and they will praise God. But actually confessing the gospel, saying we believe in the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, we're choosing to follow him, has to, has to mean something with my finances. That has to make a difference. But the thing that I think jumps out at me in these last few verses is, the, is this, that there is, there is a grace for giving and there is a grace in giving as we do it. So verse 8, I said, it's the, you know, this overarching promise. Some translations translate it that God is able to make all grace abound to you. 
So there is there's grace from God that comes towards us in order that, yes, we would have everything we need all the time in every situation, but also so that we can abound in every good work, which includes radical, sacrificial, makes no sense generosity. There's a grace that comes towards us to enable us to give in that way. And people are going to pray for you, says verse 14. He says, people are going to be praying for you because of the surpassing grace that God has given to you. So there is, there's grace that comes towards us in this journey of generosity. There's a grace given to enable us to obey, to be generous, to give sacrificially. God is going to extend grace towards us to enable us. That is always what grace looks like. It always comes from God, unasked, undeserved, unearned. It comes towards us to enable us to live a radical lifestyle. Grace enables, and it's completely different to law or obligation or pressure or duty, which requires or demands or pressurizes. That's not what's happening here. There's grace coming towards us, not pressure and obligation. There's grace that comes towards, that enables us. It's something supernatural that comes towards us to enable us to do something supernatural in return in our giving. So there is supernatural sowing and reaping. And so that we would be, it says it, you know, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every circumstance. There's this grace and generosity that comes towards us in order to let us be generous. There's... I think there is an extraordinary grace that is available to us, both in and through giving. There's, there's like this cycle of grace that we get to choose to jump in and live in, but we need to make that choice. You know, grace is, like I said, it's not earned, it's not about being owed, required, demanded. It is given by a generous God, and it is received by us with thankful hearts, and then it's expressed and outworked in love and obedience. So giving is all about grace. There's grace that comes towards us and that there's grace extended to us as we give and through giving. So my encouragement to each of us is actually is to get ready, is to consider, okay, there is a cycle of grace in this giving and generosity journey. I get to jump into that and I just have to lean in and listen. Holy Spirit, show me what's seed, show me what's bread. Help me be faithful, help me be obedient and, and to do it cheerfully. And listen, we don't do it with like a fake smile, oh, isn't this wonderful? We do it with a genuine cheerfulness because our confidence is absolutely set in the promise of the one who says, in every circumstance, I'm going to provide for you. All grace will abound to you. I love that word. It reminds me of, um, have you watched any of the, the old cartoon of the BFG, you know, where he's coming to do his dream catching? He takes these huge leaps, like bounding. It's like, it's like God can take, a, he can do something that is beyond, you know, we know that, what we can ask, think, or dream to imagine, you know, a step for me. And, but there's this grace that kind of totally overtakes us. He is able to make all grace abound to us but we absolutely have a choice. What does that look like for me? And so my encouragement to you is really like Paul's encouragement to the church in Corinth. He's like, I want you to get ready. I want you to think about this thing. I want you to understand some of the key um, scriptural and biblical principles about giving and generosity and sacrifice. I want you to get ready because there's an opportunity to give coming. And that, that is our invitation, our encouragement to you this morning. Um, so I would, I would just ask you, lean in and listen and be brave and be obedient and expect an outrageous grace to come about because you've done those things. And on one level, that is a, it is a 
beautiful journey that we're going on as a whole community. Um, from those that have maybe been in this church for nearly 30 years, for maybe some of you who've just been around a little while, there's a, a family dynamic that we really feel like God's asking us to own together. And it, it's, a, it's an expression of unity. And I think what Sarah just um, packed in terms of this grace dynamic that we can step into, a grace for giving and a grace in giving, is something that helps us combat our very um, obvious constraints. Like for many of you, you're maybe even just thinking in your mind, well, I, I'm all too aware of my lack. I'm all too aware of my constraints around finance. I'm all too aware of what I can't do. And again, um, for you and for us as a community to, to step into a season where we genuinely are listening and saying, God, what is it that you are asking me to give? That there's something in front of us that we get to, that we get to invest in, we get to contribute in that is that's really not about us. It's about others so that others will. It's about what's happening and the future of our city, to not be too dramatic. It is something we get to sow into that, that plays a much bigger part in a much bigger story of God. And, and to that end, it's going to take all of us and it's going to take every single one of us considering what part do I get to play in this great adventure? What part do I get to play for future generations to meet Jesus, fall in love with him and, and, be, uh, and step into their calling and their assignment? What part do I get to play now? What seed do I get to sow that ultimately other people will become fruit and become a harvest in? And so in the midst of that, there is an invitation. If you've got those flyers, you can kind of open them right. Well, you don't have to open them. On the back page, there's an invitation. And we wanted to break this down a little bit just to give you a, a little bit more context. And before I dive into these figures in terms of what we actually need and what we are looking to try and raise over the next um, period of time, I want to instill some faith in you. We set sail on this journey over two years ago of Project Home with zero money in our Project Home bank account. And then um, we now have well over £300,000 in that, in, in that reserve, which is amazing. It gets us to the place where actually... Um, Everything that we're looking to raise from here on in is all money that we can uh, point towards refurbing the building that we're looking at. So we have enough now to, for the deposit for the building. Our finances are healthy uh, as a church enough to be able to uh, look after the mortgage payments. But um, isn't it amazing to think that, that that amount of money, and God has absolutely spoken and then consistently moved. He's spoken and then he's consistently moved. And for some, of, for some of that finance, it's been the consistent generosity of many of you in the room that said, no, I, I want to keep pouring into Project Home. And some of you, you've, you've given regularly over the last um, couple of years to, to keep that uh, finance um, being raised, particularly for the building. Uh, other parts of that story have been totally supernatural and other people's generosity. Um, Jesus Culture, which we're a part of, Jesus Culture family and the community uh, and church over in Sacramento have given £50,000 towards, towards our project home, which is amazing. Amazing that our family at the time of our need, would, and, and they're in the same boat. They're trying to buy six acres of land to build their building. And at the point where they need everything that they're raising, they're like, no, we, we want to give. We want to be generous. We want to respond and realize what seed do we have that we can sow into a much bigger story. And so that's amazing. 
It was amazing that uh, over the last year or so, as we built relationship with the local church, um, Bethel Church in Rochdale, as they've come and become a part of us here, and as we're thinking um, over this next year about planting a location in Rochdale, as you'll hear more about that, there's a pop-up church that we're going to be starting in September up in Rochdale. But that whole story of a, a group, and some of you are in the room now, who've come to be part of us for a season before we plant into Rochdale. One of the words that we had from Sean Bowles a couple of years ago, that God would give us a heritage building, uh, which was, I was a little bit dubious about that word because heritage building sounds old and expensive and it kind of sounds like it's got a hole in the roof. I can just imagine water pouring in. And, uh, but anyway, God absolutely gave us a heritage building. The beautiful community up in Rochdale, as they, as they began to see one season closing, they sold their building and gave all of that finance towards Project Home, which is amazing, which was well in excess of £130,000. It's amazing to see what God has done through the beautiful story of, of his kingdom and his church across this region, and even across the world, for little old vine life over here to be putting one step in front of the other. So I want to build your faith that we're not sowing into this place of desperation. Actually, we're sowing into this thing that God is already breathing on, he's already doing in our midst, and he's already, this is why I'm full of faith. There are a few things that we've got to see in terms of hurdles. One of those is, is financial. Um, one of those is the planning application, which is currently going in. There's a couple of things that have been flagged up in the last week around our planning application. Nothing's insurmountable, but it really does need our community praying for um, that planning application to go through. And so in all of this, as we move forward, as you continue to put one foot in front of the other, now has been the time that we say, do you know what? We want to call again our community to sow into this vision so that others will. As we look at this building, as we know we have enough for a deposit, as we know that actually every bit of finance that we're giving now goes to creating the spaces and the places within that, within that community where we can love and serve this city from. It's an amazing adventure and an amazing opportunity that we have. So that's really what we want to call you to. The invitation is kind of spelled out. This whole thing that you've got in your hand now, take it away. And through the process of really just praying, praying as families, maybe as couples or individuals and saying, God, what's my part to play in this? We did want to break it down to make it a little bit more tangible and for you to understand a little bit about the needs that we have in front of us. And so obviously um, you can see it broken down into phase one and phase two. But roughly speaking, we think that we'll need in the region of £200,000 for that first phase, which includes repairs to one of the roofs that needs to happen in the building, and then ultimately to, to get us started, to create the spaces that, um, within um, the, the building itself to, to house what we need to house right now. And, and gosh, we know that we can move in with these chairs, we can plonk these speakers up at the front and we can get going, but there are things that we need to do in the building, there's things that um, will have to happen. And so roughly speaking, we're beginning to start to get costings in so that we, we know, but roughly speaking, we know that and this first phase, what we need to try and raise is, is £200,000 for refurb. And then in the midst of that, also acknowledging that um, there'll be a second phase, which um, will help us develop the building further, do things that, that maybe aren't essential, but need to happen over the next um, few years. And so there's an opportunity even uh, maybe that uh, right now you're not able to, to give financially in terms of, of a, of a one-off gift, but you'd like to increase your giving. And maybe there's a way for you to, to partner in this whole adventure um, through phase two. But all this um, flyer spells it all out for you, and so I don't want to just repeat what's on a piece of paper, but we do absolutely want to pray 
say one final thing. We broke um, those numbers down, and this was more for me. I find it really helpful when numbers are broken down, like to think, oh, we just need to raise 200,000 pounds. That feels very overwhelming. But actually, there are people in this room that have, have an element of resource, or God is really blessed with resource. And so actually, you may well be somebody who can actually give more. And actually, that's a, that's something that you need to do business with God over. But actually, it's, it's all of us taking our place. And so breaking it down to realize, actually, there are, are, if we actually see various different groupings of people give according to what they have, then actually it builds up to be able to um, reach the target that we have. So over the next three weeks, we want to encourage you to come, be ready to give. It may be that you need to take the next few weeks just to process, you know, how much God are we supposed to give? Um, in terms of when we would need the finance, um, really it's, it's going to be in the next three to six months. So there's a lead up time for that. So it's not like we need everything. So there'll be an opportunity to give IOUs or, or give an in, intention to, to give a certain amount, but it, not everything needs to be given at once. So those are the more practical things and that we wanted to let you know about this morning as we dive into this. Are you guys excited? Yes. All right. Okay. Sarah, why don't you pray? Why don't we stand?